Welcome to this special edition of the People Masterminds podcast. In business, you have a lot of best practices. In reality, these best practices do not necessarily mean that it's a very good idea to do this. But often only that many companies have been doing it for years. Sometimes against all us. Now, what if we all started looking more closely at new practices? Things that not many companies are doing yet, but certainly should be doing more. Welcome to the special edition of the People Masterminds podcast. My name is Evelise. And I am Crystal. Today, we have a whole group of special guests in our studio, our very own People Masterminds team. We normally introduce everyone with some personal background information. So, of course, we're going to do that this time as well. Yes, surprise! (laughs) (laughs) So, our first team member to introduce brings our team diversity to the next level, surrounded by all those women here. He's a racing devil on a bicycle and loves to ski. Once in a while, he travels back to his homeland UK to visit his big family. We love to call him DJ, Data John, because he's a hero with numbers, analytics, processes and systems. Welcome, John. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome, Data John. Thanks thanks for the introduction. (laughs) And the second team member... When you say kindness is magic, you talk and think about her. This woman is a creative mind, full of energy, and she has a full house with her three boys, including her husband, and two cats. She loves to wander through her life in tights, ideally with a funky pattern. It's Ingeborg van Harte. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you for the introduction. And last but certainly not least... Uh, Our next team member is a world citizen. She used to live in Amsterdam and London with her boyfriend and adoption dog. And now she enlightens the neighborhood in Spain. She has the cutest daughter and lives together with one of the best sources in the world. Welcome, Sanne Verhagen. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome, Spain. (laughs) Welcome, Spain. (laughs) So far, we're mostly interviewing others, but we've decided to do an English podcast once a quarter with the People Masterminds team. So we can say exactly what we want and think this time. Finally. Finally. <laughs> so let's see what this does to the listening uh, statistics after this <laughs> no one. No more plays. <laughs> so we just mentioned in the introduction that we love to share new practices. So in this podcast, you'll hear our top five of new practices for 2022. First of all, John, take it away. What's your new practice? Thanks. Um, so I want to talk about working smarter with the tools that you uh, you invest in. So uh, in the as we've seen in the pandemic, uh, there's been a sort of explosion in the in the amount of tech in the people space. Yeah, there is. Yeah, lots of companies are imp- implementing lots of new and different uh, and innovative uh, tools, uh, which brings an overwhelming choice to all of us as people leads as to what we can use and how we go about using it. If you look uh, around in the space, if you take the HRS space, for example, a lot of the companies are really accelerating uh, in innovating their products and offering an ever-growing suite of uh, tools that make our lives uh, a lot easier. 
Uh, my favorite at the moment, Hi Bob. Uh, well, hello. <laughs> hello, Hi Bob. I, I'm not a massive fan of their name, but uh, no, I, I like to... <laughs> it. It's like you have a new colleague, Bob. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, new colleague, Bob. That Hi. is where they've gone to now. So it's now just called Bob. So I think that's a, that's a step in the right direction. But in, in all seriousness, what they offer is a really good uh, good platform. And what I love about what they're doing is they're constantly updating and introducing new things in the platform as well, which continues to uh, make sure that we have better and better tools to uh, to work with. Other companies are out there doing stuff, uh, innovating things in the space. There's another company with a great name called uh, called Butter. Um, they are a, a really good tool for facilitating uh, online training uh, and really trying to make that gap between online and offline uh, as close as possible, making it easier for uh, um, for facilitators. Yeah, what, didn't you? What is the name again? Butter. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you recently create a training in Butter? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I, did, I remember. Uh, did it the other day, and they have some fantastic soundboards and things to keep uh, keep people entertained. So yeah. that, uh, that uh, was made it a really really interactive uh, uh, interactive session. Um, but what you find is, with obviously more and more tooling to use, there's more and more data available. Data allows uh, a lot better insights. Uh, to be able to surface problems. Um, and particularly over the last few years, if you look at the pandemic, that's become really, really important because we see each other less. We're having less face-to-face -face yeah. interactions. So having data available and information available to be able to see that is really, uh, really important. I wonder if now still anyone wonders why we name you Data <laughs> John. John. <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> By the end of this, uh, it'll probably be very clear for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and um, yeah, what we're seeing from that is, uh, yeah, using these data tools really helps to um, to, to uh, uh, uncover blind spots. But also, uh, if you're using your tools effectively, you're able to um, use them to uh, detect early warning signs of problems that you may be having or things that are going on within the uh, within your organization. And what's interesting is a lot of companies are coming up with innovative ways to do this and to build uh, build on this. But that means we have a lot of choice, and it means that often as uh, um, people teams that we are seeing, oh, this is a bright, new, shiny thing that we can go use, um, but it may not always be the rest, best thing um, for you to be using in uh, in your organization. And you maybe already have a tool that you can actually use a lot better. Than you have a lot of tools. You have your HR system, you have an ATS, then yeah. you want to use something for goal setting, uh, maybe engagement, yeah. benefits. Yeah. yeah, there's and, a lot. Yeah, and, and that's what, what you really see at the moment is there's so much choice out of there. And often I see in people teams that they often don't have someone like me who uh, specializes, <laughs> in those, uh, specializes in those areas and is able to get the most out of those systems uh, with them. And that leads me to sort of my, my first thing that I really noticed that and my sort of key tip or something to be aware of as a people team is uh, the key to success to any system you have is um, the flow of data within the system. So what's really key is getting your Processes are right at the start, so being clear about how you input your processes, but being strict about it as well. So no corner cutting, no shortcuts. It needs to be clear at the start what you're putting in, how you put it in, then how it flows through the system. And then if you get all of those parts right, you'll be armed with uh, data at the end that can really help you and that you're confident with in being able yeah. to uh, to use. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that, John. But isn't it so that... Basically, in people and culture teams, we tend to buy all those tools. We don't use it to the full potential. And if you could give us like three things that we should always measure, then where to start? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a it's a really good question. I think what what I especially in scaling companies where I want to focus on is uh, you're obviously investing a lot of time in hiring, recruiting people, yeah. growing them, and then trying to retain them. So you have three key metrics that I would say you should be around those things. So for example, your time to fill. So from a role, time the role is open to how 
quickly it takes you to fill it is an important one. Looking at that combined with something like your uh, engagement score, so how engaged are your your teams, how uh, how uh, up to speed are in, their, uh, in what they're doing and how bought into they to your mission and what yeah. you, where you're trying to uh, um, to go. And then the last one that I always like to, to focus on is, is turnover and particularly turnover related to uh, tenure. Because what you see from that is if you've got people who are, li- are leaving within the sort of the first six months to, to 12 months, mm. it probably is an indication that, hey, all that time you're investing in recruitment yeah. and onboarding, yeah, it's actually going to waste because yeah, six to 12 months, you're not going to get a lot out of someone. No. Uh, and it's really important to then sort of use those statistics together to build out your, uh, yeah, really think about how you're doing your uh, interview processes, but also how you onboard people, how you get them up to speed and how you then make sure and they're engaged in what you are, are doing as a company. And could you give us like three key topics to keep in mind when you implement a new tool? <laughs> I, I know you have like hundred. <laughs> yeah, we love lists of three. People remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the first thing that I always, uh, well, the question I always ask, and I touched upon it a little bit at the start, just because you're around the amount of choice you have is uh, really define the problem that you're trying to solve, because that will help you with what kind of tool you want to implement and how you want to go about uh, using it. Uh, number two for me would be think about your data entry processes. I touched upon that again, and I will always love to talk about uh, data and how it, how you work with it. But if you don't get those things right at the start and get those things clear as you set up your system, you will just implement a system that makes the same mistakes or does the same thing as your previous system that you would have had a problem with as well. So that's that's really important to make sure you get those things right. The system on can. its own is not a solution. No, it doesn't solve no. the problem. If you've if you've already got a Often the root cause of the problem is you actually weren't putting in the data in the system properly and it wasn't set up to flow through properly. Yeah. So that also causes uh, uh, some challenges. And the last thing, and I think that's also something that often gets forgotten about, you're so focused on getting a system up to speed that you forget to really train everyone properly on how to use the system. Amen. And, con- and continue yeah. to train them on how to use the system as well because those systems, when we touched upon it at the start, they're continuing to grow, they're cr- continuing to improve. So having someone in your team who is keeping an eye on that, who continues to make sure the team is up to speed on how to use the tool, will mean you get your full uh, value out of your uh, or out of your investment that you put into this uh, this tool. So work smarter by using the tools you invest in. Ingeborg, what's your new practice? Well, the, the new practice um, also aligns with my favorite saying of kindness is magic. <laughs> um, but I've been really impressed with the new wave of employee benefits I've seen over the past year. And I remember a few years ago, it was mainly pension and healthcare contribution that you would see on top of a salary. Yeah. And then maybe bonus or stock options for senior people. But now when you look at someone's benefits page, you see way more then healthcare and stock options, actually often those two are not part of the deal, especially yeah. with startups and scale-ups. They might not be offering that yet, but you see a range of other benefits, which uh, for me reflect much more a caring nature or character of an employer. Hmm. So I think it's becoming way easier to see if an employer is serious about caring for their people or not based on the benefits they're offering because they're such a nice variety now. And I think they're also really reflective of caring about work-life balance. yeah, um, And those benefits I, I didn't see, say five, six years ago, you'd rarely see them. And now I love seeing them all the time. And I think for a lot of employers who are setting up a new benefits package or thinking about which benefits do I want to offer my employees, I, I love it when this is the starting point. 
Could you uh, give an example? Yes. So uh, there's a f- um, there's a few I love, but I think especially around parenting. I think I became a parent myself six years ago, and I remember being really nervous about mm-hmm. telling my employer, mainly because I was often in interviews with hiring managers who still rejected females based on the fact that they said, oh, she's 30, she's married, but she doesn't have kids yet. I think this is a risk for my team. (laughs) And um, it's unbelievable, but I I think I can't count the times I've heard that comment from my hiring managers. So when it was my time to actually inform the organization, like, hey, I've been here for a year, uh, but now I'm pregnant, I was really nervous about it. And I had a great manager who responded really well, but I realized that it was definitely not something that I felt at that moment, that Mm. parents were really... Uh, part of an inclusive culture and you should still be slightly ashamed of going away for a few months you're causing issues and when you come back you want to work part-time and it was not always a given that that was possible and I think I've seen really nice changes in organizations where they've a lot of organizations are talking about diversity and inclusion yeah and they put workshops together and teams together to think about this but I think uh half of the workforce is probably in the age bracket that they could become parents. I'm not saying all of them will, but half of them will probably become parents. And it's uh, a huge step to become an inclusive organization if you make it explicit from the start that that group is welcome and that there's no hesitation about changing employer because you might lose a nice benefit around becoming a parent. So I can tell you a few examples of that I that I really loved. Um, but I've seen, for example, and this is the the extreme almost, but I uh, that's why I like them so much, is where companies uh, literally give time off for fertility treatments. So not yeah. only do they respect the fact that you want to become a parent, they're like, you because you will need time off for that. Yeah. So it's really respectful for the fact that you have that wish or that, and you're hoping for that chance to become a parent and then giving time off for that or even paying for that um, or uh, offering uh, family planners. I think that those are for me the real wow benefits. Family planners? Yeah, there's family planners who actually literally help you with planning a family as in becoming pregnant, but also when you are pregnant, then planning how you will do that in combination with work. Um, I still love the additional time off for dads when it's paid. Because yeah. in the Netherlands, I remember when I had my kids, my husband got two days off. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. Two. Yeah. <laughs> and there's two paid days. But if you take into consideration that often... Men are still the say the breadwinners, and they still often have the highest salary. I think eighty percent of households that the men is or eighty five even higher salary than the woman. For them to take unpaid time off, even though you can take time off if it's unpaid, they often don't do it because they literally can't afford to take the time off financially. So it's not that we're not wanting to take time off; we can't. Um, and now the range, for example, in the Netherlands has gone up. Yeah, you can take five weeks again, 70%. I just love companies who say, don't worry about the other 30%. I'll top it up because yeah. I think it's actually important that you take the time off. And I think for me, those make a really big impact in work-life balance and setting you up for success. Um, and I, I know that there's large organizations that give four, five, six months off to dads. And they rock, but we mainly deal with startups and scale-ups. Mm. And for them, it might be a little bit scary to do this, but I think... Like you don't have to do this very often. It's not like they're going to ask you four times in a row, four years in a row to do this. No. So I'd say like, take the chance that they will ask for this once or twice. Um, and then you have companies who offer financial advisors for new parents. Um, I also love childcare services. So for example, uh, Charlie Cares, they offer childcare services, but they uh, partner up with organizations. So especially in Corona, when parents are asked to work from home, but the kids are at home. Like combining that was, for me personally, almost impossible. Yeah. And when you then have an employer that says, I will help you book uh, a babysitter and I will pay for that, you you can actually work without feeling guilty. So I think, again, that's 
I love it. And I also think it's really next level and a new practice. Do, do you see these sort of benefits have become more in the forefront over the last couple of years, obviously with the pandemic, that your sort of work and home life has become sort of merged together? And do you think that, that that's had an impact on sort of why you're starting to see more and more of these things sort of become to the forefront? Because to be able to, to stand out as an employer, you kind of have to have, think about the employee as sort of the full package, not just what they do at work, but also what they're doing at, at home. home as well. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. what they do at home. Because I think you, you never used to take home to work. Yeah, It's like you close the door, you go to work, and often they wouldn't even know about your personal situation. But now, yeah, work and home is completely combined. Um, but also I think it's harder to separate the two because they're physically often located in one place. So yeah. you, you've, you, you can't have your kids running around if you have to work, or at least it's very hard to then work efficiently. Um, so I think the same with, for example, home cleaning services or um, lunch boxes that are delivered to your home. Like you would have never needed this from your employer in the past, but I think now it's almost like having a clean desk and a clean yeah. office and nice yeah. lunch yeah. at the office. This is what you do in return. So, And I, I really like that a lot of companies, also smaller ones, have jumped on this and that a lot of new organizations have popped up who offer these services that yeah. didn't exist before. Yeah. Well, it also yeah. makes everything less, though some of these subjects, less taboo. So you can actually go and talk about them and talk about them with your employer and not have to keep them and deal with them yourself. Yeah. It's yeah, more absolutely. like an open topic yeah. now. And I also think you touched something else that is truly important because you shared something from your personal life. And isn't that the case with benefits as well? It's not one size fits all, no, absolutely is not. it? No. So you need to personalize. Yeah, and I think that was actually exactly the next topic I had because I love the personalization from benefits. In the past, it was one package for everyone. And for example, a company would offer gym benefits. Everyone can go to the gym, but they don't take into consideration that maybe 50% of those people do something very different. So they, they don't want to go to that gym. <laughs> well, they don't want to go or they're runners and they don't go to yeah, the gym. Or cyclists. Or they do something else. <laughs> But it was very rare that you had a benefit that was applicable to everyone. And you would like they measure the uptake of benefits like there's a 20 percent or 30 percent of people use it. And that's great. And I'm thinking, what a waste of the other 70 percent who are not literally benefiting from the benefit. And they yeah. also don't yeah. appreciate it. Um, and what you see now is there's a lot of platforms that offer the flexibility where the employer inputs like a fixed amount, but the employees can choose. So it's definitely no longer one size fits all. But it could still be fair as in um, one amount for everyone, but that as a person, you can optimize it yourself. So I love that. What I also really like is that um, if employers look for benefits that really fits their culture as well and 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 uh, and their values, so um, there's no one size fits all for for employees, of course, but also not for companies. So I think it's also interesting if they look for benefits that really fits our values. Yeah, what reflects our company. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of companies, for example, who, because everyone's looking for their purpose and and a lot of organizations want to do something on corporate social responsibility or something around like doing good or volunteering, but not every organization has a purpose, which results in a better world. It's like, let's face it. If you, if you sell clothes or you sell furniture or you um, orchestrate split payments, it's like really not the same as working for Greenpeace. No, it's not. Um, But it doesn't mean that you can't, as an employer, be a responsible employer or help your employees to do something good. Um, And those are also the ones I really enjoy, like where you facilitate organizations who are not necessarily making the world a better place, but they might be doing something good for their employees. So Mm -hmm. I still see them as really positive employers because they are creating an opportunity for employees to do a good job and 
feel good about the work, although the company purpose might not immediately be create a better world. So for example, one that I recently spoke to and implemented for the first time was the social handshake. And the social handshake uh, is also known as payroll giving. And in other countries, it's quite normal. In the Netherlands, yeah. I hadn't heard about it much yet. But basically, they are a platform where from your payroll, you can donate to charities, but you can pick yourself. So it's not like the company saying, this is the charity we support. No, here's 25. And you can choose your own. You can also choose exactly how much you want to donate. I think it starts from five euros, but you could also decide on 50 or 100. It's in one spot. It comes from your salary. So it's really easy. And then the employers can decide to match or match partially or don't match. So it's... um, Per employer, you can kind of decide how much you want to spend on it. Yeah. But per employee, it makes it really easy to do something good. So it was a great example of something easy wow. to implement. Yeah. yeah. The other one is volunteering and then kind of the new way. So in the past, I know companies used to give people like one day off a year or two days off a year to go volunteering. Yeah. They would like clean a beach or they cook for the homeless. But it's not necessarily something aligned to the organization. And it would not everyone enjoys volunteering and cleaning up a beach. But what I really enjoy is when they um, donate skills. So it's, it's very aligned with the organization and what the people that work there do. So I worked for an organization where they donated development time. Yeah, exactly. So when you're a software developer, you might not want to go and clean the beach, but you might love to actually contribute to a, an NGO or non-for-profit by helping with a few hours of software development for them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a really something smart that you way. really like. Yeah. yeah. So doing something you love for a good cause during working hours, I think that's the really, I guess, the, the new way of doing volunteering. Great. I like that. Um, and I think at the end, um, because it was all about personalizing benefits, um, it's really to give employees the choice of the benefits that fit with their personal situation. Yeah. So um, not giving everyone the same, but allowing them to personalize their benefits is maybe not something new, but I see that a lot more companies are doing it. And I believe it's also where employers can really create that wow factor. Um, so making it more personalized is really where I see the kindness. Um, so yeah, by offering a budget which can be used for any benefit you choose, you kind of make more impact with the money you invest as an employer as well. This podcast is sponsored by Your Campus, the flexible employee benefit platform for scale-ups. Your campus allows employees to select their own benefits, such as mental health services, working from home equipment, bicycle plans, health insurance, gym subscriptions, and much more. Save yourself time and trouble by letting employees choose their own benefits. You set the budgets, your campus takes care of the rest. Go to www.yourcamp.us to book your demo and start your free trial today. How about you, Sanne? What's your new practice? Yeah, so one of my new practices that I want to discuss is actually mental health. It feeds in both John as Ingeborg's uh, new practices as well, I think. Uh, mental health, uh, yeah, is more than implementation of some tools, I think. Accelerated by the pandemic as well, it became a hot topic for companies. Uh, it was already like five years ago, but it becomes more and more important. And I think where it started with virtual coffee dates to talk about other things than work with your colleague, it's sort of evolving into mental support from your employee, uh, online coaches, mental health days, uh, unlimited holidays, all things that are viewed as a benefit as well, uh, which is really nice. But I think it's only sort of scratching the surface because it's a bit more than just implementing some tools or uh 
uh, yeah, calling a coach, for instance. Um, I think the overunderstanding is that employers must move from seeing mental health as an individual challenge to a more collective one. So uh, both a manager as the employer also have a role to play in that because, uh, yeah, we all experience, I think, but also from research, we've learned that uh, mental uh, health or well-being has a direct impact on physical health, but also on yeah how people perform and experience their uh, time at work, right? So Yeah, very interesting view. Yeah, so I think employers are, yeah, really should provide programs for prevention and treatment of mental illness as well in that matter. And I think the cost of doing nothing is higher than investing because it always seems as like an extra, right? Or especially in scale up startup world, like people don't really have the money for it. But I think we really should uh, make that investment. Um, what I found interesting is that what people want the most in the workplace is actually training, uh, but also more easily accessible information about where to go or who to ask for mental health support. Uh, a more open culture in that matter is, I think, really important, right? Because like, uh, again, uh, I know of companies, they uh, implement like a coach where people can go to, but they do want to see a report. So they don't want to necessarily yeah. know uh, what has been discussed, but at least know that someone went. Well, for me, that doesn't make sense. That's right? an extra barrier. Whole... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the whole idea is that you don't stigmatize it into something that is an extra, but it should be normal. Yeah, so in that matter, I think like you should step away from, uh, uh, yeah, using the buzzwords like only well-being or mental fitness uh, and employers need to connect. So, you know, what they say they also should do so that it is really something that also like employers explain about uh, burnout or, you yeah. know, what they experience yeah. themselves. And I think that leadership in that matter needs to change as well. So there are programs for HR managers to understand better, like, okay, uh, how should I uh, behave? Because uh, we all have experience as HR managers and we, we think we know um, yeah, how to react or what to do when we see that people are not in their best shape, in that mental shape. But do we really know if, yeah, how to respond? And also as a leader, I think it's really important that the style of leadership changes in that matter, for maybe even for specific people or during specific times, right? I think that if you want to work on well-being in your organization and truly make that part of your culture, you basically have to approach it on three different levels, on organizational level, on, on, on team level to support the managers. Yeah. How, how can I discuss this topic with my team, for example? How, how can I ask the right questions? And on an individual level. So those three levels are important to um, yet to make it truly part of your culture. Exactly. Yeah. And I think as well, like uh, in a lot of companies, what you see is that what the company offers in the sense to support on mental health and what people actually use, there is a discrepancy between those two. So that also means that what a company thinks is needed is not necessarily uh, the things that the company, the, the employees need. It's a bit the same with uh, benefits, personalize them. Or, you know, make them lined up with your your values or your purpose. That's also the case, I think, with uh, mental health support. Thank you so much for sharing your topic. And how about you? Well, um, Crystal, my topic's title is Dare to Share with Job Sharing. 
Because uh-huh. let's be real. For most of us, the nine to five in-person workday died. It simply doesn't exist anymore, right? At least I don't want it. No. Not sure if you do. <laughs> no. <laughs> But still, if someone in the scale wants to trim hours to part-time, they often experience the risk of losing opportunities and getting caught in a trap where they often really end up in working more than the agreed upon hours and make less money. I don't think that's the way to go. There must be a better way. So did someone here ever think about job sharing? I remember that you did, Ingeborg, because you were working in an Australia, at an Australian company where they had job sharing. Is that correct? Yeah, I worked in um, Brisbane, Australia a few years ago. Yeah. And they, uh, they have adopted job sharing years ago. So it was super common there for moms to share a job. They were ahead of the game, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Because what what is job sharing? Well, basically job sharing is a setup where two or maybe even more employees work part-time to fill a position. And the hours can vary. They may work together a part of the week or even never see each other. So that depends. Um, In job sharing, you regularly see two models. The first one is the islands model. And the second one is the twin model. So let me tell you a bit more about the model so you understand them in short. So in short, the islands model is a job split model. Often two employees share one full-time position, but they don't share the workload. They specialize in different areas of the position's duties, which enables them to better focus and make use of different personal skill sets. In a job split, employees are able to complete their tasks independently. So just Sounds pretty smart. It is. Think about an IT role in a scale-up company. Often it's not a full-time role, but we do need someone for a help desk role and we do need a system admin. It's not easy to find one. But how about two part-time jobs? What if these two people, a help desk employee and a network administrator, share a role? Well, I recently hired you two did. receptionists or <laughs> office administrators or yeah. offices because we figured... Uh, both of them actually wanted part-time, had great skills. But what do you do if one is sick or they go on holiday? You literally can't do without that person. So well, we that- hired two who together work eight days a week. But if you even it out over the year, the cost was hardly higher. But we were always guaranteed of having a person in the office well, do that job. You know, that's even one of the benefits. But the example that you currently use is not an example of the islands model. It's an example of the twin model. Let me explain to you the twin model. The twin model is the simpler one of the two. It literally means sharing the workload and dividing the days. So employees share one full-time position, probably your receptionist, and they share the workload. They work on the same tasks, different days. And often in job sharing, when we use the twin model, you also see that they have one day that they both work in the office or remotely. And that's basically where they can give feedback, where they can hand over tasks, etc. So it's it's the simpler model of the two, and it's doing the same job with the same tasks, but you divide it. And the model you choose really depends on the nature of the job and what preference and skills you're looking for, but also what the state of your organization is. And I believe that in many scales, we often have new roles coming up, but we don't really can offer a full-time job yet. So job sharing might be ideal. And then many people always wonder, okay, so I like the model, but what's the benefit? Especially probably your leaders. Are you going to think that job sharing works in a scale-up? We work hard. 40 hours, not even enough. It's not sufficient. Well, come on, wake up. Because imagine the benefit of two hats thinking about a problem 
It's extra brain power, right? Two people know more than one. And then there's greater flexibility. This is exactly, Ingeborg, what you said. Because if someone goes on holiday or is on leave, you still have another receptionist because the job is shared. So we have less of a problem. And keep in mind that many people don't want to do a full-time job anymore, huh? And they also they also have five, six, seven weeks of vacation every year. And then yeah. there's critical roles like IT help desk or an office and manager. And then there's a gap. You can't do without. And no. to fill those roles temporarily at the moment is also uh, quite impossible. Yeah, and, and, and a full-time job. I'm not sure if a full-time job is so 2022. Uh, people, for whatever reason, whether it's study, family, volunteering, or being a part-time entrepreneur, don't want to take a full-time job anymore. Yeah, so, you see that more often as absolutely. well. Absolutely. So are we going to wait for it? Or are we going to anticipate? And what could be the potential downside then? Yeah, of course, there is a downside too. So um, firstly, I think sometimes it might be difficult to find complementary people. Yeah, if you go for the, the if you go for model. The, yeah, or for a complementary, probably in both models, but mostly in the island model. Um, so it's specific. Then secondly, think about a manager. The manager has to manage two people instead of one. So there's definitely extra work on the manager's plate. And then communication is key, especially when you truly share the job. If I do half of your job, you get back in the office. You want me to give you a proper briefing, to over-communicate, to have everything clear. So communication is key. And even if employees overlap days, then you also might need extra workspace if they still work in the office. So these are some examples of potential downsides. But to me, they don't weigh up to the benefits. So if you want to try it out in your environment, I think yeah. obviously with startups and scale-ups that you, you often yeah don't potentially have a full-time job to begin with. How do you, how have you seen that managed before then? So you'd have like 40% of someone doing one role and 60% of someone doing the other role to make one. That's possible because okay. you don't have to do half-time. Sometimes a job is even shared by three or even four people, mm-hmm. especially in the early days. And then also think about work students, for example. So you don't have to divide it by two. You Pretty much look at what's the current need and the need might change. Yeah. And I think as you're growing, that's then a really nice opportunity because you only have the resources in-house. Someone's trained up. It's perfect. they're able to work longer. You understand why this truly (laughs) works. Yeah. So so if, if you as a listener would like to try this out in your own environment, then first explore and put together a plan that basically outlines the advantages because... I warn you, there's a big chance that your leaders will be a bit skeptic at the beginning, especially in scale-ups. Then prepare your pits well and then propose an experiment. I think our secret words, uh, Crystal, is always an experiment. Start with an experiment. Because we're yeah. going to try it out. That feels safe. And then give it time. And it's a very successful thing in Australia then. Yeah, but I, I see it more often where you put two people together on a project. Basically, they work together for the brain power. But also when one goes on holiday, the project continues. Exactly. So consultancies have been doing this for a very long time where they never, where they don't send one consultant on a project, but they always combine two or three together. Actually, that's kind of like the job sharing, but then yeah. you just put multiple people on one project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you plan on doing it for more roles in, uh, in with your example that you gave? Um, I love it. And I've also seen it very successfully because, for example, in Australia, moms often come back three days a week and then they can't get the more senior roles. But we had at AECOM, we had director sharing roles Mm -hmm. Um, and they were then together, the director on accounts, 
but the the people on those like the clients on the other side were so used to having two people to talk to it was brilliant a co-ceo that's also something that that's i okay. see more and more often yeah that's i think sharing. salesforce has a co-ceo right so if <laughs> yeah. they can do it i think yeah. any company can do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i think otrium as well yeah i think so too So, Crystal, the last topic of today's topic. new practices. That's yes. you. Yes. Um, what I would like to share is to stop old-fashioned works councils and oh, to gosh. start new thinking. Yeah. Does that still exist? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, basically, the Dutch law requires you to set up a works council as soon as you have more than, um, than 50 employees in the Netherlands. And I basically see three things happening, three directions in uh, in organizations. So sometimes companies hold it off as long as possible, even sometimes with a couple of hundred uh, employees. Uh, did you work with uh, Works Council, John? No, I'm in the first category most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I kept it up to 300. <laughs> so, and, and you, Ingeborg? Um, I've I've worked in organizations with work councils and without. Mm. Um, also big ones without. Yes. You know, there there are some rebellions in this room, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the first direction. Um, companies that hold it off as long as possible. And then the second, uh, companies that implement like a traditional uh, works council. And then companies that implement sort of employee participation, but... Yeah, with a with a twist and in a more modern way. I think we all like the last. Yes, uh, we do. The last variant. Well, and the thing is, of course, the Works Council legislation dates back to 1950, and the world, of course, and organizations changed a lot since then. Um, so the question is: Is it still completely relevant, or is that law maybe a bit outdated? And also, for many organizations, of course, and employees, it has quite a negative. Uh, connotation the works council it slows everything yeah. down at least that's what they think or say um, uh, works council members are complaining they're nagging and mm, I don't really uh, want to be part of that works council it's 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 hard for works councils to find new members so mm, maybe it's not working anymore but I also believe that you can shape it in a very positive way and really create something that has added value um, for the organization, including uh, including the employees. So I would say dare to let go of those Works Council 1950 regulations a bit, although every lawyer would say you can't, of course, um, and choose a form that really fits your, your culture and set it up in collaboration with your employees because they want something that works uh, well for them too. Yeah. And I guess you experimented a bit. Yes, the, I did. In, in the last decade. <laughs> yeah. Can you share some of your experiments with us, please? Yeah, quite a lot. Because it's really my... Uh, what's the word in English, John? Stokpaardje? Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Well, you can think Mr. Yeah. Native doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's really a, horse, a topic yeah. that I'm super interested um, um, in. So things I experimented with over the last... Um, a couple of years, for example, a works council with uh, rotating members, because I believe there's nothing worse than discussing, for example, a company car policy with a works council where no one actually has a company car. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that by working with rotating members, you, you ensure that there's always someone at the table to whom it actually applies. 
and that that really adds value. So that's something that I um, experimented with. Um, another thing is just create your own playbook rules in the spirit of the Works Council regulations, of course, but with a mi- bit more yeah, creativity. So add, for example, um, that you want to involve the members in topics like values or culture. Those topics are not uh, by default part of those no. Works Council regulations, but maybe then um, discuss and decide to to skip the advice around, I don't know, certain insurances that feel less necessary uh, to them to be uh, to be involved in. So really focus on okay, what do we want to talk about together? Um, what also helps is to give it a different name. Um, I know that a name doesn't say everything, of course, um, but it already sets sort of the tone. Um, Binder has the culture club. Um, Tony's Chocolonely has the high five. Um, Tech Sharks has the uh, I think the ocean opinion, the ocean's yeah. opinion in uh, in oh, English. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it it already sets the tone that okay, we want to do it different um, here, um, and you can always decide, for example, especially that could be interesting for uh, for scale-ups to make it like an international thing instead of just a, a Dutch phenomenon. I like that because most scale-ups go internationally, right? So, so what do you advise? Yeah, and and they find their culture super important and yeah. they want to involve their employees. Okay, and if you want to do that, then why not make it uh, like an international thing instead of just focused on employees in the in the Netherlands? Um, yeah, my advice, if you, if you go for a twist and a creative way, um, of course, employees are entitled to have like the formal uh, works council as soon as you have those 50 employees. So if you want to do it differently, I would say involve them from the start and explain why you want to do it in a different way and help them to uh, uh, to, to decide together, okay, what kind of what kind of form, how do we want to work together? Uh, what kind of topics do we want to discuss together? So involve them um, from early on. Um, and also check regularly with them is this, if this is still working for them. Again, because yeah, they, 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 they are entitled to have exactly that formal works council but if another form is working very well for them why would they uh, want to go for another form then but check in regularly um and what always worked pretty well for me is that um people could basically choose so either we either way we go for a full formal works council and then it only applies for the people in the netherlands or we give it our own twist and we make it an international thing um and by giving them that that option, uh, a lot of uh, team members always say, "Okay, we would love to involve our colleagues from the other offices as well." And then we go for yeah. the creative version with uh, and giving that with option a, with sounds a, fair with a twist, yeah. And that um, that worked really, really well. So, of course, if 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 the collaboration works well, it really depends on the on the people you have in the team, um, but also is uh, the leadership team or or C-level or whoever is uh, uh, communicating with the work council is open and transparent and involves them um, at a very early stage in making those decisions. But you can have a really good collaboration with the works council. Do you think there's room to change when organizations already have a works council? Um, Yes, I think that is possible, but it also depends on the relationship you have with the works council. So if it's a bit... 
difficult if 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 you're struggling in the communication etc why would they go for a more flexible one then um but if you if if the works council has a feeling themselves that mm, i don't know if this is really the best option for us this formal way and um, maybe we would love to involve other colleagues from other offices uh in 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 the europe or in the us whatever um then i think that's absolutely possible yeah i've seen that in the past that they did that they absolutely willing to change the current structure yeah nice yeah yeah and you you said the 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 rules around this or the the setup of this came from the 1950s and it Mm. may be time for a change yes what would you have in mind to change (laughs) (laughs) or is this a really long uh... (laughs) i i well our plan is to create a second podcast around this next Ah, year so then we we go in depth and then we can petition who we need to petition to uh to uh, listen and uh, yeah 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 (laughs) yeah yeah because it's a bit outdated of course it has its function um and i understand that but it's uh, almost 2022 especially for our target group the scale-ups we can do something better than the old-fashioned way yeah and crystal can i ask you something um Let's say you're in a situation where there is a restructure or reorganization and you actually need a work council to get things done. Can you, yeah, what do you do then? Do you use the new version um, or, yeah, how would you go about that? Yeah, I would still involve them. Even if you go for like the creative works council version, I would still um, involve them in these kind of topics. So you have those regulations, of course, and um, I would create basically what I said, your own playbook rules and and decide up front um, where do we want to talk about together? Where do we like to involve the Works Council in? And a reorganization would absolutely be a topic on that list for me. Okay, cool. Thank you. What an inspiring topic. Thanks team for sharing your knowledge. We can talk for another hour. That's no problem. Easy. Definitely. (laughs) Well, summarize the five new practices in a row. Work smarter by using the tools you invest in. Thanks, John. Create magic with kind benefits. Thank you, Ingeborg. Focus on mental well-being. Thank you, Sanne. And dare to share with job sharing. That was me. And Crystal, thanks for stop everything that's old-fashioned when it comes to work councils and start new thinking. I'm curious to find out what our listeners will pick up from this list of five with new practices. And if you start with this, then please share with us what works for your organization, because we're curious to find out. Yeah, and we plan to uh, record some podcasts in 2022 to deep dive into some of the discussed topics like the Works Council but also other topics. So stay tuned for new podcasts coming up. Um, thank you, special guests for today. And um, thank you, thank listening. you for listening. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.